0: Welcome to the Informed Simplicity Project, a place for students of therapy who are looking for the far side of complexity. Today I have a great interview that I just wanted to make a quick announcement about. This interview was conducted back under the handle Behind the Mirror, so you guys might still hear some of that old language. But make, make no mistake, this is the new project, and I'm so excited to share this information with you guys. All right, without further ado, Connie Ray Andreas. Today I have a wonderful, wonderful therapist who I have been, um, I think, you know, in the field we all have people who, who we've been stalking for a period of time, <laughs> so this is one of those people that I've been stalking for a while, and I'm so, delight- I'm so delighted to have her on. Her name is Connie Ray Andreas, um, and I would love if you would say hello and then give a little bit of a brief introduction about yourself and about your
1: Okay, yes. Hello. Hello, everyone. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, I really appreciate this opportunity to, um, to talk with you, Jordan, and also um, your people, the people um, listening and watching. So introduction to myself and wholeness work. Did you put it that way?
0: Yeah, actually, why don't we (laughs) slow down. Give an introduction to yourself and then I would love to know how did you get into the field of therapy in general?
1: Okay. Well, that is a, that's happened a long time ago. (laughs) um, Yes. Yes. As a young child, I started getting interested in therapy and it was really because I saw, I experienced my husband bickering a lot and being less happy than I wanted to be in my life, you know? And I thought to myself, surely there's got to be a better way. And if there is, I want to find it. And I thought perhaps in the field of therapy, um, there would be some answers. That's the simple answer the simple. about why I got into psychology. And then I was always interested in um, psychology for the ordinary person, you know, for all of us, the kind of psychology that's helpful for all of us, not just like the most extreme situations, um, but that too, you know, extreme plus just us ordinary human beings. So I always was attracted to uh, people like Fritz Perls, um, who introduced Gestalt therapy, Virginia Satir, with her family therapy work, um, they made it more mainstream to be interested and explore this thing called personal fulfillment. It wasn't just about getting over problems. It was about having a more fulfilling life, I think, the way these people started introducing it. and um, and Milton Erickson, um, the psychiatrist Milton Erickson, who you and I spoke about earlier, um, he's always um, had a very special place in my um, personal history. Um, he, he's he's always been fascinating to me as a as a magician, a magic man who could who could help people be happy despite themselves. <laughs> <laughs> That's an
0: excellent way to put that. I think that's exactly <laughs> what happens. Yeah. Despite their best uh um uh, uh, their despite their best efforts to not be happy.
1: <laughs> yeah, despite the the coping mechanisms we tend to create for ourselves that get in the way often more than really help us cope. And but yeah. he'd find his ways around. And um I I um had the good fortune of being able to visit Milton Erickson twice while he was still alive, um, two different weeks. Once my husband and I went, uh, we weren't married yet then, um, but, uh, we, but we, we both went. And then the next time it was just me. I went for a week with some friends of mine, some therapist friends um, who set it up. And um, it's just a treasure, a treasure of an experience for me. It was life-changing for me to go there.
0: Yeah, it is very strange to hear you talk about that because you know, I've I've read about so much of what he's done and at a certain point there's a there's a doubt that creeps in like this could not have actually happened. You know what I mean because some of it sounds so fantasyful. Um,
1: that's what I thought as I was experiencing yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought if someone else told me this I would not believe them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> You talk to people like you or, you know, Stephen Gilligan, and and you're like, wait, no, that actually, that actually, what? what? Yeah, yeah. And it makes you really wonder what's possible in the field, you know?
1: Yes, it was, it was that experience for me with Milton Erickson that was very formative, because I was, I was going through a difficult time in my life personally, and, um, um, I, uh, due to the, fr- the friend who set it up, who's a therapist, another therapist, she said, well, why don't you ask to see him privately? She, he could be really helpful. He helped me with the similar issues in a private session. So I did. But then, you know, I'm not going to tell this whole Erickson story, but <laughs> because I've written it up and it's online, people can read it. Yeah, um, we
0: put that in the uh, show notes.
1: Yeah, yeah, we can put that there. But it led to this sort of interesting back-and-forth experience where, in retrospect, I'm sure Erickson was sort of playing me. <laughs> he was finding what buttons he could push, you know, yeah. kind of leading me on in different ways, and then not um, not coming through in any of the ways I was expecting him to. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that was how he liked to work. He liked to be mysterious. He liked to... Um, and yet the, the thing that stays with me about Melton Erickson most strongly after all these years is the the twinkle in his eyes It's that clarity and I would call it love there was a strong there was a clarity and affection and love that he had a presence um, but what happened there for me happened through more than just presence he he also had a precision where he knew what he was doing he knew he, and and it became clear you can if you read the story you'll get um, how I became clear that he knew exactly what he was doing, <laughs> and yet it was all a mystery to me. And I suddenly found myself in a, in, in the space of uh, a few seconds, feeling like a completely different person, and one with a kind of feeling of well being and resourcefulness. Um, that is more similar to what people talk about when they talk about awakening experiences. But I had no background in that. I didn't know anything about awakening, so I didn't think of it that way at all. I just thought, boy, I must have been really screwed up before now because now I feel good. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that,
0: is, that is true. Me and a friend of mine playing around with, with different things. And once you have an experience of deep connection and peace, you almost look back and go, what was I thinking and feeling before that? <laughs> like, like, what? Yeah. I didn't even know that I was so like unhappy, but apparently like, I'm <laughs> like, it's a weird shift.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. So uh, you said something about how that kind of experience shows us what's possible. Yeah. And that, um, a light went on for me when you said that too, that, that was my feeling about that experience. It It showed me what's possible. And then, for me I ha- after that experience i had this sense of well-being that lasted um it got me through some difficult life times in life um in a really good way and yet that sense of well-being started disintegrating there's no other way to describe it it started just sort of dissolving or disintegrating it, it wasn't there for me anymore and i started being the same old semi-neurotic uh, person that I'd always been, <laughs> more attached to how other people would respond to me, more concerned about uh, how how things were going or would go, and would I be okay, and yeah. that kind of thing. That, um, but, it, but it showed me what was possible. It gave me that glimpse. And that's what then became a motivating force for me. I couldn't rest until I found my way back, basically. Melton wow. Milton Erickson died before I got a chance. I thought if I'd just go back and see him again, he'd be able to restart the magic, you know, Right. but he, and I had a session s- scheduled, but he died before I got there. Um, so um, it left me on my own, so to speak. Um, and I think in the end I look back on it and I'm grateful for that too, because it, it led me to some discoveries that I, it, it, they were difficult discoveries to make, but some discoveries that I think um, have led me to some ways of doing inner transformation work that don't rely on a genius like Melton Erickson, that are a magician, you know. Yeah. It doesn't rely on somebody else knowing what buttons to push to get the change to happen. It's something that each of us can do ourselves.
0: Yeah, yeah man. So, there's so much there before we dive into that um a question that comes up for me is in every field, the people at the beginning of the field are geniuses, and they have to be to get the field off off the ground right they they have to be able to see things other people can't see, and then eventually, what happens is um they raise the entire level of the field right you see this clearly in something like music right like Mozart, I think you know, as like a revolutionary person. But now if you ask people, they say, yeah, anybody who goes to college and studies music can do what Mozart did, because the field has been raised. Um, Do you feel like, not in general, but in your own work and the work that you teach people to do, that you've been able to raise the level of the field to Erickson's level, or are are we getting there slowly through your work and other people's work?
1: What's the option? I, I heard the the first one. Are we raising the field to be like, so we can all be at Erickson's level or what's the other one?
0: Or is it more of a, you know, this is, um, we are headed in that direction, but we're not quite there yet.
1: Ah, uh, uh, I, I think both are true. Um, what I think is that um, Erickson had certain abilities that I don't claim to have. Um, part of them were, It was his unique style in part. His gifts were his gifts. My gifts are different. Your gifts are different from mine. Everyone, each of us has their own gifts. So I think that my gifts have to do with making the mysterious doable for everyone. Right. And I do think that that results in um, the whole field being at a different level. And sometimes I think, you and I and, and other the, the rest of us who learn these leading edge methods can do, I can do things now that I don't think Erickson could do. I'm not as skilled as Erickson. I'm a simpler person in a way. Um, I, um, uh, I, I'm not as clever, I don't think, as Erickson is. Uh, um, but what I can do is more dependably and reliably help lots of people do things that even Milton Erickson couldn't necessarily do. I don't know if Milton Erickson could have helped me have that sense of well-being as in an ongoing way, because I think it's the kind of uh, what one needs to do at a certain phase is claim it consciously. I I think about it as claiming not have a magician wave the wand and do it from the outside for us. And that's more my strength is helping people find a way that they can claim it themselves um intentionally, um consciously, and yet in a way that drops off the effort and allows us to be more one with the unconscious. Yeah. Which is so your method. I think it really raises the bar though. It it does it raises what's possible for all of us to do. Yeah. Uh, hugely.
0: Yeah. Okay. I was just wondering because I see that a lot in different fields. I, I read a, a good bit of history and even something as simple as like um reading and, and writing, right? In the Middle Ages, apparently, about 12% of the population could read and write. And they assumed that the rest of the population couldn't. But we got better at teaching, right? And we got better at distributing knowledge. And now we know like 95%, 95% plus of people can read and write. Yes. Um, and so I, I, I do wonder that in psychotherapy, we have people like Erickson who obviously were just I mean, I'm almost terrified if he was born today, because I feel like he would know so much more, so much quicker, like, you know, like yes. that's
1: Yeah, um, yeah.
0: But on the other hand, it's like, have we have we done a good enough job of understanding how he did what he did, and then teaching it to other people so that they can receive similar results?
1: I think that's a really, I think that's a really good question, Jordan. Have we done a good enough job of understanding what he did. Because I think we haven't, Um, there's more to, and that's the direction that I'm attempting to go. With um, the core transformation work and with the wholeness work now even farther, um, I, I I don't know if it's what Erickson did, but it's a very precise and specific way of working that makes it possible to access what Erickson accessed in me for pretty much everyone and reliably, and you can do it yourself, you know? <laughs> so those are some big pluses. But I think that the field overall in psychotherapy has been kind of wallowing around too long in very imprecise way of working. Um, often we've, um, you know, I went to um, graduate school in clinical psychology quite a few years ago now um, in at CU here in Boulder. And things, I think, are changing a little bit. Um, things are becoming more precise in the field in general. But there's still more that we can do. And I, I would like to see the field go more in this direction, where we become more precise, where where we recognize that therapy is both an art and a science. We've recognized that it's an art, but I think we haven't recognized clearly enough that it's also a science. There's a precision in what we're doing. And so it's it's not enough to be a nice person. You know and to to have our clients feel good about us and think we're nice and um, you know I think of I think of some people occasionally we've had some someone referred to to us I think of one person who goes yeah I was referred by my therapist and they described this ongoing relationship of years in therapy where they made zero progress but they stayed in therapy because they liked their therapist so much and the therapist was such a nice person and you know it's it's nice to have a therapist you like, and it's great to have a therapist who's a nice person, but it's not enough. You know, it's, it's important that we understand our, our field well enough that we can be precise and we can offer reliable ways of transformation for our clients. Yeah. If we can't do that, I don't think we have a business um, charging money.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think something I've been wrestling with a lot lately is I've been reading through the the research on outcomes and effectiveness and counseling and Mm -hmm. therapy. And one of the very common trends is people who get better, people who, we know that certain therapists are better than other therapists. They just are. It's very clear. And across the board, those people who are better therapists see people for less time, which is like, the opposite of what of what I was taught when I was in grad school. When I was in grad school, and that was not that long ago, so I'm assuming it's still sort of popular myth. the The story was, if you do good work, your clients come back.
1: Mm-hmm. But I see. the
0: reality is, if you do good work, clients stop coming <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> because they're happy now. <laughs> <because> they're better. <laughs> Life is working for them.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, and yeah. and if you track them over a two year period, they're they're still better. <laughs> like, <laughs>
1: That's funny, yeah, yeah, you know, and i'm now what I'm thinking is there perhaps there's a truth that includes both of those um, it's not quite as simple, it's a little more complicated yeah. because I'm seeing now that um with the clients that I've worked with, when things go well, and I'm not always you know I'm sure not all my clients go, oh, she was wonderful. My life is great now. Um, But when things go well, for some people, they get limited results and they get them fast. So somebody wants, uh, they have a a fear phobia or they were traumatized by something and they want to get over the trauma. Um, These are things that um, through my background training in NLP, I know methods to work with reliably very fast in one session often to get really significant shifts so that the the symptoms of PTSD can often be reliably taken care of in one session. Um, Not not complex PTSD where you also need to work with anger, forgiveness, rage, you know, things like that. Um, But if it's a simple PTSD, that can often be reliably processed and transformed in a single session. So, And there's a man who was a Vietnam vet who, um, who I worked with years ago as a part of an NLP training. We did one session around, he, and he had PTSD around his experience in Vietnam. This is many years ago now. Which, um, I
0: haven't seen that, but I work with people from, from Vietnam who, who were in Vietnam, the war. Yeah, it was, yeah, it can be and it was, it, was, it
1: was very traumatizing for him. And he was in a situation where he was waking up with night sweats. Yep. He would swing, it was dangerous for his wife because yep. he might swing at her. He might lash out at anyone if he got triggered. Right. If he saw an Asian person, um, he, he might lose it because it just tra- transferred him back into the trauma situation. Like Vietnam. You know. Yeah, yeah. Lots of situations triggered trauma reaction, which was stress and, and swinging, um, sweating, you know, nightmares. Um, so in this after this one session, that was all different. And his wife, who didn't know about the session, said to him afterwards, <laughs> Honey, you're different. Did you do something? <laughs> you're just more relaxed. You know, you're not, I'm not worried about being around you now. <laughs> you know? so, so that can happen in a single session. And tracking with him years later, it, that stays the same. Um, now there are other people whose um, goals are, now that I'm doing wholeness work, I have an understanding how that particular method it's precise, it's specific, it helps people get deep and lasting results. Um, so the results don't go anywhere, they don't go away, but people start understanding they can use it as a life practice and continue to get more, yeah. basically. So, so I'm finding that I sometimes enter into ongoing coaching arrangements where, where they need me less and less, and my job is to make myself completely dispensable. <laughs> You know, so I have one client, for example, that I've been working with for about three years. At the beginning, it, he started off by attending a workshop, a three-day a three workshop um, in wholeness work. One, he, he felt like, okay, this is the first thing that's really help, helping me. Yeah. Um, it's actually getting some results. So I want to continue. So we did some ongoing coaching. At first, it was maybe every week or every two weeks then it went to every month and every two months. Now it's sort of sporadic. Sometimes it might be six months. And then just just a, a, an assist so that he can use it for his own practice.
0: That's beautiful. So tell us a little bit about the wholeness process or do you wanna preface that with the core transformation or how do you wanna? To- well,
1: let's go right into the wholeness work. I'm happy with that. Yes, yes. Okay, so would you like me to give you the really short version or the, kind of medium version where I guide you and the listeners in a um, simple exercise to get it more in experience.
0: Let's do that one. The- Let's do that
1: one. Okay. All right. And um, I take more time with it if I'm working one-on-one and if I'm um, in a group teaching a group. Um, but I think we can do this. I think we can give a glimpse just with you and me here. Okay. If, if we both um, do it uh, as we go along. So here's, I will say, um, in preface, the way the wholeness work came to me was um, through attempting to make sense out of what some spiritual teachers were saying. Um, and I was doing that, the reason I was doing this was because I was experiencing a crisis in my own life on all levels. I, my health was falling apart. I was not having, I was having challenges in my main relationship. So things were not going well. I was feeling desperate, to be honest. And we, you know, we therapists don't like to admit that usually. <laughs> no, it's our clients who are supposed to be desperate, but I was definitely feeling desperate. <laughs> so I I took some, some time out. I had to, I had no choice. I was not, um, my physical, I did not have the physical capacity to see clients or to teach trainings then. So And it was really a good thing for me because I really had to turn inward and find, um, okay, how am I going to, I thought I might die. And I thought I wanted to try to live if I could. Um, So I was searching everywhere for answers. I wasn't getting answers from the medical profession. I think what I had was not something they could cure. So... You know, I'm thankful for the medical profession when they can cure things, (laughs) you know, when I have something. But this was not one of those, apparently, even though lots physically was going on. Um, So I began to look everywhere. I, I already knew what I knew in therapy. I knew a lot of leading edge methods and I wasn't finding enough there for me either. So I started looking in spirituality and I thought maybe they'll have some answers I can at least hope. So, and what I was encountering in Eastern spirituality was over and over again, this idea about, um, suffering happens because of the ego. And if we just, um, and it's because we think we're this small self that we aren't really, if we know who we really are, this sort of vast self, the suffering will fall away.
0: Can I slow you just pause you for one second? Yes. Cause I had never made that connection. Um, We've talked a little bit about quantum change, uh, Bill, Bill Miller's book. But what you're talking about is the shift that everybody in that book talks about. Yes. They shift, from, they shift from thinking of themselves in a way as isolated to being connected to a larger sort of something that is accepting and connecting. And love, right, in some sense or not. That's a fascinating. I had never made that connection.
1: For now yes 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 and and the Buddha even spoke about um, suffering people think in terms of these spiritual teachers oh they're just talking about spirituality they're just talking about enlightenment but I think the true teachers were as much interested in how we live our lives now as are the oh, yeah. us as, as we are as therapists yes, absolutely. Um, and the Buddha had some some things about he had teachings about um, how the way off the wheel of suffering, enlightenment is the way off the wheel of suffering, and it's about this dissolving of the small self. Um, And and my sense is he meant that as dissolving the kind of suffering that we as therapists also deal with. Mm -hmm. So so I was thinking about this. I started going to, you know, listening in on spiritual meetings um, to the degree I was physically able, which was not that much. I was sitting with spiritual teachers, and mostly their method was just do it, you know, <laughs> just just well, sit in the presence, turn inward and let it happen. And there wasn't really much in terms of specifics. There wasn't really anything reliable. So I started noticing, you know, the same people are coming back with the same questions and I didn't notice there was a reliable path to what they were talking about here as reliable as what I would hope might be possible. So I began to wonder, is it possible to have something more precise, more specific? Even though some of these teachers were telling me it's not possible to have a path in steps, any steps are in fact the wrong path. Um, nonetheless, I started to play inside. And this is, this. is so it inspired me to do some playing, which led me to some discoveries, which I now think are the same thing that uh, spiritual teachers are talking about. I think it is the same thing Um, it's just a more systematic a more precise specific way so here it is if we go to if we go to it so it's about dissolving the ego but what's the ego right and the my first thought about that well the ego is the I That's not very profound. We can all go there. Um, It's the I. And we all use this word I all the time. I go to the store. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to try to talk to my spouse about something challenging. I am going to attempt to resolve this problem. Um, But we still don't know anything. What's the I, right? (laughs) So now I sat in spiritual meetings where people attempted to answer those kind of questions for hours on end. And one could literally spend days, weeks, lifetimes trying to answer that in a mental way. But I had the thought, what if we answer it in a simple way in our experience? And that's what we're gonna play with right now. Okay. So, So if you and I right now turn inward, and everyone listening too, if all of you listening, Pause, take a moment. And if you're in a place, um, if, you're, if you're driving a car, don't do this right now. <laughs> if, if you want to be in a place where you can just sit comfortably and close your eyes and do this before you do this exercise. Um, uh, so if you're in that kind of a place, you can close your eyes, you can turn inward, you can turn inward and sense in and th- through the body and notice whatever you notice. And it can be anything. So right now I notice this little place in my low, it, around my waist on my left side, just inside my body. And it's, there's a certain sensation there. It's nothing, no big deal, but it's this little twingy sensation. And so you can notice whatever you notice and if, you're, if it's okay to say what it is, you can. Um, just where is it located and what do you...
0: Yeah, I notice, um... I noticed that I feel good. I didn't realize how good I felt. And it goes <laughs> up It's about my neck and then there's just some tension like right in my forehead.
1: Uh-huh, okay. So a nice feeling in many places and then this feeling of tension in the forehead area, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Okay, nice. So there can be, and that can might be similar to many of the listeners. We might feel nice in a lot of the area of the body. There might be a little place of tension. And you can actually focus on either one for this exercise, either the place that feels nice, which is a bigger area for you, or the place of tension. And whatever area you, you pick to check on, notice how much space it takes up. So. So for me, this little place inside um, my, around my waist, inside my abdomen, it's like a little um, oval shape and sort of the size of a small, a very small piece of fruit, perhaps, Um, you know, about about kind of, of, or maybe the size of a thumb. Um, And for you, which one are you picking?
0: So I have this, it's like a, I hadn't thought of this, but I, it's like a um, a fuzzy diamond shape. Like if the Okay,
1: has... great. A fuzzy diamond shape. And it can be, just for the listeners, it can be any size. It can be any shape. It can be any location. It can be located anywhere in and through the body. So, and then we just notice in in and through, what's a little bit of the sensation quality? And you said it's kind of fuzzy. Um, I noticed this little... Um, twin there's a kind of stillness i notice and a little bit of fullness a little bit of like it's over oh, something a little over full that's what i'm getting for mine a little bit of density
0: yeah
1: and yeah okay. and and now now i'm going to go to the next question and that is we're all you and i and everyone listening um who's in a safe place to, to explore we're not, we are noticing this place in our body. So we could say or think, and it would be true, I am aware of this sensation. I am aware of this full sensation here in my um, abdomen area. And you could say, I am aware of this fuzzy place here inside the forehead. Um, and the listeners could say, I am aware of whatever it is you're aware of. And this would be true. So when you pause to just notice this, I am aware of this and experience this, I am aware is true. I am aware of this sensation here. Where's the I who notices? Where's the I who's aware? And just go with the first location. Don't try and think through an answer. Don't try and make sense out of it. Just go with the first location that comes into awareness. So if I go, I am aware of this here, what comes for me is I'm noticing this place, partly in my forehead, partly out. And it's kind of about the, this shape of a, a cantaloupe. Um, what are you aware of?
0: It is like right behind the... the
1: right the, behind the, that place the in the diamond. forehead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. More in the center of the head?
0: Um, no, it's more toward the, the front of the head actually.
1: More towards the front of the head. Okay, got it, okay. Now, now, and, and everyone listening, you can notice where is it located? It can be in the body or in the head. It can be outside of the body, anywhere. So it, some people go, well, it seemed like it was like out here. Is that okay? And yes, it is, it's, it could be anywhere. It could even be far, far away somewhere. I once had someone say, it's, a, it's like it's in another galaxy. Now that's unusual, but it can, but often it can be outside the head somewhere. It can be outside the body somewhere. It can be within the head or the body somewhere. It can be anywhere. And it can be any size and shape. Um, what's the size and shape for you?
0: Um, it's shaped like a, like one of those letter eyes from the the Pixar animation. I don't, you know, the ones that they like jump
1: uh-huh, on. Uh-huh, uh-huh.
0: Kind of like that. <laughs> um, and this is very strange to me, but it's hard to see how big it is or the size because the it's it's so close to the tension that it that uh-huh. it feels like that it, it feels like it's very small. Ah, uh-huh. but it's uh-huh. like it's, it's the I don't know, the relationship between the two. It's hard to
1: get the size of it because it's so close, but it's sen- your sense is it's fairly small. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. Okay. Now this that's kind of shaped like an eye is there a thickness can you notice the thickness that it has yeah
0: it's pretty thin but it's not flimsy like it's it's probably like paper thin ish cardboard yeah. ish but it's not i mean it's solid it's not going to fall over
1: yeah it's kind of solid uh huh okay all right now this is kind of solid and thin if if you sense in and through it even though it's thin i'd like to invite there to be a sensing in and through this it's just so that there can be a sensing is it solid all the way through or is there the sense it's kind of airy on the inside How how is it it can be either and it's just a matter of sensing how it actually is
0: yeah it feels pretty solid
1: solid all the way through that I was getting that impression yeah and now for mine mine is kind of this here around um, my head and if I sense in and through mine what I'm getting is it's kind of a little fuzzy it's a little gray um it's not yeah a little it's kind of medium dense it's not solid but it's not totally airy either it's kind of in the middle okay. and now um to uh and for for the everyone listening what I invite you all to do is just notice whatever you notice in the one that you found the eye that you found um, notice how big it is, the size and shape. And if you're not sure, that's fine. There can just be kind of a guessing. Oh, I, I just guess it's over here or over here. Um, it's even fine if you're not sure where it's located. You can just guess and go with what first comes into your awareness. And then sensing in and through, notice the sensation quality. And by that, I mean things like, is it fuzzy? Is it, is it warm? Is it cool? Is it dense? Is it airy? is it heavy, is it light, Um, things like that. if If there could be a direct sensing of it, what's the sensation quality? And to just take a moment to sense that, sense the energy here, the aliveness here. And then we'll go to the simple exercise. Oh, actually, before we do this, I need to do one thing, one more thing. We go back to our sentence, I am aware of this sensation, right? We started with that sentence. We've, we've explored the sensation itself, its location, its size and shape, its sensation quality. We've explored the eye, we found, where is it located? We found its size and shape, we found its sensation quality, but we haven't explored that middle word, awareness. So, so let's do that a little bit. And if we, take the word, if we explore awareness, um, we all probably have a, our own sense of what that means to us. And people who are in certain spiritual or meditation fields might have be familiar with that term. And yet I'm using it for this process in a really specific way. So I like to guide people through how I'm using the word, which may be the same or may be a little different. Or sometimes, often it's actually a lot different than what people have experienced it up to this point. Um, so when I'm speaking of awareness, I'm speaking of the common ordinary awareness that we all have in any moment in time. And to access this, we can just sense, we can check, okay, there's awareness already present in and through my body in this moment. And I know that because I, I, uh, if somebody would bump me on my knee, I would, I would just sense it. I wouldn't have to go to any work to sense it, it would just be automatically sensed. If there was a a sensing, if my stomach was gurgling and there was indigestion, there would be this automatic sensing of this because awareness is already in and through the body. And whatever sensation you chose to start with, the only reason you and I notice that is because awareness is already present in and through the body. So we can just pause to register this right now. There's awareness already through the whole body. This capacity to experience, it's already present in and through the body. And there's also this capacity to experience already present outside in the space around the body. So if if our, we already have this sense of space around, around the body, if there was a sound happening on the left, I snap my fingers on the left, you would automatically hear the sound or if you snap your fingers, you would automatically, there would be a receiving of the sound that would be natural, automatic and effortless because awareness is already present. You wouldn't have to go, oh, there could be a sound happening off to my left. I'm going to send my awareness out, go grab the sound and pull it in, <laughs> reel it in. No, you don't have to, if there's a sound on the left, if there's the sound on the right, there's an automatic receiving, there's a sound in the front, there's an automatic receiving back, above, below. And it's useful just to pause to register that if if the experience of sound was from any direction, there would be an automatic receiving of the sound because awareness is already present. So that's this sense of space all around and through the body that has the capacity to experience And if we open our eyes visually, we have this sense of space too. It's easy in front of us to, we would be aware if a bird flew by. But even with our eyes shut, we have a sense of space we know. And behind us, even without looking, we know there's space behind us. So that's this sense of space that's in all directions outside and through the body and i wanted to take a little time with that because it's it's to experience what we're going to do next it's important to just pause to register that not just mentally as a concept but to register that in our experience this that we can in any moment pause and there is this capacity to notice that's present through the body and in the space all around So with that background, now we go back to the eye. And everyone listening, if you're in a safe place to do this, you can also notice where's the eye that you found. And sensing into the sensation quality here, notice again the sensation. Is it warm? Is it cool? Is it dark? Is it light? Is there an open and airiness or a denseness? And however it is, a buzziness, a stillness, however it is, The sensation here, I'm going to invite you to try a little experiment. Just notice what does or doesn't happen and uh, let it go as it goes. And the experiment is this, sensing in them through the space, notice what happens when the sensation here, the sensation of the eye is invited to open and relax in and as the field, the space of awareness that is throughout the body, and all around. <clears throat> so again, that's just notice what happens when the sensation of the eye, the sensation here, is invited to open and relax, dissolve and melt in and as, the full field of awareness that's all around and throughout. And there can just be an allowing of that to happen or relaxing into that, whatever might or might does or doesn't happen however it goes and and i like to let people experience it until things settle sometimes that happens really quickly sometimes it takes a little while um for me i think that's pretty much complete and um for me, what happened, it goes differently each time. For me, what happened was there's kind of a dissolving, the sense of dissolving that went like from here and it's as if it flowed down and through through the body and then kind of all disappeared from there. And I don't know what how it went for you. What was your experience? Did anything happen first? Because sometimes we, we make this invitation and nothing happens. And I want to acknowledge and validate that too because it's important to... Go honor the truth of our experience, whatever it, it is or isn't. <laughs> so, how it happened for you?
0: Yeah. So as soon as I did that, um, that diamond began to sort of just relax, and I knew uh-huh. that because the tension was sort of just like okay, expanding, almost like. Um, this doesn't make sense in real life, but if you were to blow something up, like on a cartoon, if you were to stretch, stretch something out, or like a picture, uh-huh. Uh-huh. eventually it just sort of like fades into whatever's behind the picture.
1: Ah, ah interesting. So, there, so it, that's an, y- the unique way your mind-body system found to, to let go of this and let it dissolve in the whole, into the whole system.
0: And I, I mean, I wasn't trying to dissolve that. I was just working with the eye. But as I was doing that, that tension sort of just began to.
1: So. Yeah, yeah, and that's perfect because it's not useful with this approach to try to do anything. We we notice things and we offer an invitation, and then we trust the wisdom of the system to do what's meant to happen. <laughs> and in the in the book uh, on the wholeness work. And the trainings we get into um, what to do when nothing happens because when nothing happens that's an important signal it's not something going wrong it's something it's whatever happens it's always something going right it's always the wisdom of our system expressing itself and we it all it just lets us know what to do next now when that happened for you when it went into the more the everything did anything else occur
0: yeah uh slightly after that one pace behind that the eye began to dissolve um, but it almost dissolved in a way that was kind of like clunky and uncomfortable um, almost almost like if you get into like a um a hot shower or like a really cold bath and like it it'll, it'll, it will it will feel good in a few minutes but you know your body's not quite
1: quite yes 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 and and that is I'm not surprised um, because of the particular what you were tapping into with as soon as you went dark and dense if we if this weren't an introductory exercise I would have guided you in in a different direction that would have made it um, easier and more comfortable for you in fact I was surprised that it did anything at all actually So, so, um, so, but it's too much to teach the the listeners all at once everything, and it's simpler to get the first simple version first. So um, I appreciate that you brought up that kind of an eye, though, because some of the listeners will also find that. Sometimes the eyes that we find are light and airy, and those usually have a simple time dissolving, and it usually feels very easy. And then some are more dense and dark. And those usually, um, they're in a way more significant ones to notice. So you actually tapped into something more useful in terms of personal transformation than I did right here. And when the listeners tap into that, it's a useful piece they're tapping into, really useful. Uh, We all have them. We all have both the light and eerie ones. We've got the dark and dense ones. Um, If we go... If we choose to use this as an evolutionary path, we'll encounter both. I, I definitely have um, encountered many dark and dense ones, and many light and airy ones. <laughs> and um, what I, what I think think might be useful though is to to, to, for us to talk a little bit about like so what (laughs) (laughs) so this thing here dissolves does that do anything you know is it useful I mean it's a cute little gimmick but does it matter
0: yeah
1: right so what (laughs) yeah so what exactly so I um so yeah and the answer to that is of course in all of our experiences it's not something i i think it's good to take from anyone on faith or or on authority but to try it out in our experience and what i can tell you though what i can describe is what's happened for me from doing this and what's happened for a lot of the clients and workshop participants that i've guided through this method um it's it's a quite interesting and in a way profound process that's that we're just starting here we're just beginning to get a glimpse of and some of the listeners may have had you your some of your experiences might have been ho hum a little bit but the u- most universal thing that happens for people is they tend to feel just a little bit more relaxed sometimes a lot more relaxed um but oftentimes, just at least, just a little bit more relaxed. And when you know the full process, then you know how to how to uh, engage so that there's an increasingly complete relaxation. Um, but this thing, what, what's hap- why are we a little more relaxed when this I, the the one perceiving, is dissolving into the whole space? And here's how I think about that: <clears throat> when when this When we're finding the I, not just mentally or in concept, oh yeah, the ego, I've got this definition of the ego, Um, but we're finding it in location, in a place in space. And then we're going farther, and we're finding how much space does it take up? You know, sometimes it's like this big thing, above and beyond, you know, I've had people go, ah, it's this great big cloud behind me, or it's this teeny tiny thing right in the center of my head. Um, We notice how much space it takes up, we get the sensation quality. Now we're getting some a specific experience, and here's the thing: um, this is what our unconscious thinks we are. It's as if unconsciously we when we go, "I am trying to solve a problem," where's that eye located?" Oh, it's right here to the left of my head. It's about this big. and we could find that eye. And it's always got a size and shape it's always got a sensation quality and if we check the eye that is trying to solve the problem is always smaller than the full field of awareness and that's the interesting part because if we think about it well does it matter that my unconscious thinks that i'm this small place in space well i'm i'm positing that it does and it does in a profound way because if we, if we try to answer the question of who am I really? Well, I, I don't know if I can really answer that in a mental way, but I'm sure if I'm going to answer who am I really, it's going to include more than this small place in space. You know, who you are is gonna include more than that eye-shaped thing in your forehead. Who I, Connie Ray, am is not just gonna be this thing the size of a cantaloupe that's half inside and half outside my head, you know. Somebody comes up to me on the streets and says, who are you really, Connie Ray? And I, I can tell you, you know, I went, I went to a workshop. I learned all about that. I'm this thing the size of a cantaloupe. It's half inside my head and half outside my head. (laughs) Now people would think I was a little nuts, Um, (laughs) but, but the thing is, our unconscious thinks that it's as if in the moment, our unconscious is operating as if that's true. So, and what that means is that when I, Connie Ray, attempt to solve some problem, if I'm attempting to solve it as an I that's smaller than the full field of awareness, I'm going to be trying to solve it in a limited way. I can just guarantee that. So it means that the, that as we learn how to find and dissolve these this fault, what we could call a false sense of self that the unconscious has acquired, um, We learn to find it in a specific, precise way that's very reliable. We start increasingly accessing this experience of ourselves that is more than just that small sense of space. And and that's why I believe that people who um, have been reading the book, um, sometimes that's enough. They they write to me and they tell me, wow, you know, I'm really amazed at what's happening in my life. Things are changing. I'm finding this spontaneous wisdom that I didn't have before. I'm getting these creative answers to questions and problems that I wasn't sure I could solve. Um, I'm sleeping. Other things happen too, like they go, I'm sleeping better. I'm this, I'm that. But um, but that's the kind of thing that starts happening. We come into our our own in a way that we didn't know existed.
0: This way of thinking about it is... I want to name it. I don't, I don't know what it is because, we, so I want to back up. You're talking about this process, but also your understanding of the process is really, really cool. Um, I mean, I, I clearly remember reading Quantum Change and thinking, how would you make this happen for somebody? But when you put it like that, it seems very simple. Uh-huh. Which, which I guess is the is sort of the um, the mark of expertise, right? The difference between me and the race car drivers that they know where to look, rather on the track. <laughs>
1: you know what
0: I mean? Like that's the difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Between Someone who's good at what they do and someone who's who's not.
1: And and what I'm claiming is that this can make everyone the equivalent of an a, a expert with regard to each of us with regard to ourselves. Yeah. We can learn to tune in with this simple. It's not that it's not complicated, but it does take a certain subtle um, wisdom. And so, sometimes it for most people it's helpful to get coaching in and to to read the book, to do these things, to get guidance in how to um, how to do it. But in working with many people, I see every everyone can learn it. It's possible it's accessible to everyone who is interested. that's the key thing. what I'm finding is that's the key thing that makes the difference. if someone is not interested, this is not a method that can be imposed on someone yeah. so it's 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 for everyone who's interested in a better life yeah yeah
0: i mean as you as we as you know i've i've um I've added this to my morning mindfulness practice and it has been it has been really helpful because before I would sit and I would try to follow my breath and sometimes it would go well and sometimes wouldn't. Um, and there's a part of me that likes to be, you know, free and creative and all that stuff. And there's a part of me that likes to have something to fall back on when I'm a little lost. And for me, this is mm-hmm. such a, a benefit in that way. It's something uh-huh. to fall back onto. And it's almost become like, um, drinking and eating you know it's something that is nourishing that just sets me up in a much better day um, and it puts me in a much better frame of mind for lack of a better um, way to talk about it for the rest of the day Uh-huh
1: oh that's that's awesome that's awesome so you've been using it as a daily practice for a little while now mm-hmm. and is that based on the book mm-hmm. huh. okay great great oh that's good to, that's good uh feedback <laughs> i always like it when people can use the book and and experience results
0: no i um, Just from that i read another book by another person um, who talks about some of the similar principles that you talk about i think this person's is actually a friend of yours and i was reading your book at the same time and i thought this book is so user friendly it, it really is very very it's it's almost like a manual but it's not that
1: dry. (laughs) I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. 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 I did. I worked for five years on this book, literally. Um, I, my first draft of it I thought was ready to go like a long time ago. And I, and I put it out there to some readers and some of them went, this is great. And some of them went, I don't get this. Yeah. And I thought, okay, it's not ready. I want this, this material, I want it to be accessible to everyone um, who's interested. So I worked for, so, so then I did more live trainings to get more feedback about what do people need to, to understand for this to be easy for them, for this to be, for, to really get it yeah. and, and to use it effectively. And that, working with lots of groups and individuals one-on-one gave me what I needed to know to do another round of the book and then so I then I thought okay now I'm ready now it's ready so I put it out to readers and now they're still going okay I think you need to make all these changes <laughs> so and at first I said to the the first ones giving this feedback I said no way I, it's, it's good enough somebody else is going to have to do the next step I can't go there and and they went are you sure because you know the material better than anyone you're the one to take it farther and um and a couple of people gave me that feedback. So I went, okay, I'll do it. And I, uh, what made it possible, I think, is I worked with a couple of good editors and um, who helped me, you know, that was including my husband, who was, gave me a lot of feedback and, um, and my son and, and sister Tamara, who are, some who are also trainers in this work, um, and then also a professional editor. Um, that I worked with was extremely helpful and I'm pleased with it now so I'm glad you are too I think it does I think that it it, it's the attempt is to make it feel like a conversation between me and you reading it and so it's a little more like a one-on-one session or a as if you're there in the room with me with us and uh, so yeah that that was the goal so we'll see how well it does that and uh, yeah and uh, yeah, so thank you. I'm glad you found it accessible and that you could you could use it, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I don't know why I feel compelled to say this, but uh, I also read your core transformation book and it was good. I don't feel like it was as readable and I'm not sure why, but this whole book, I think is very, very readable.
1: Uh huh. Well, I, I feel pretty good about the core transformation one too. Yeah. Um, I did, I did work, um, Tamara and we hired another professional editor on that one to help us make it more readable. Maybe but what I, what I'm, I think it's, it's pretty accessible, but this one I do think goes a little farther and I maybe you're that. just more ready for this method. Yeah. Um, it could and be that. Make
0: sure like core transformation is excellent. Mm-hmm. I just found this easier and more clear.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Okay. Well, always glad. Time goes by. We can get better, in in how we present things. Yeah. I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a very it's a very well written book.
1: Yeah. And my my attempt was to make it so that it would guide people through getting mm-hmm. to the point That's that exactly they could start getting benefits, is. not to create this. I always get frustrated when I read books that create this. They're basically long PR pieces. <laughs> you know, and they don't really. Help you get it, um, and uh, well, and sometimes it's it's though it's also I think because uh, what's unique about wholeness work, and I think it's strength, um, it, and this is true of core transformation. True, what's unique is that it's it gives people a precise and specific way. It, we're not just being vague and saying somehow we're going to let go of the ego. Right. Um, there's a specific thing, and and in the exercise. Hopefully that's clear from the mini exercise we just did. Yeah. And if not, it becomes clear in the book because there's much, much more to it yeah. in terms of the specific steps. So I like to think of it as making the mysterious doable.
0: I think that's exact. I mean, yeah. How did you develop that, that skill?
1: Well, it, part of it has always been, I think my um, personality style. But part of it definitely came from my background in, in the field of NLP. The field of NLP is all about, um, you know, it's got a mixed reputation. I, I know that. <laughs> and for good reason sometimes. sometimes. Not everyone who's been in NLP has been a, um, has perhaps served it well. Um, Sometimes there are challenges in terms of ethics or, and sometimes there's just a real mix of skill in the field of NLP. Um, Some people have attempted to take it on without really having much skill themselves. So it's ended up mostly hype what they serve out rather than the the full course meal. Um, So, um, but my background in NLP did really serve me. And it was a very important part of my training and learning how to be precise and specific about things you know I was in graduate school in clinical psychology and I was learning a lot and um, I had some good professors and I think for the day um, some professors who were more precise than than a lot of people were um, and yet I found when I got into NLP it's like oh they're really talking here about what about specific internal experience and and specific a step making it precise enough that anyone can follow it and then measuring the results, then checking for results. We don't just plant seeds and hope that something happens. We test for results. So that background I think was um, helpful to me when I got, when I came so that when I came to my own personal crisis, you know, in my own desperate, it wasn't just about I'm wallowing here and hoping that by the grace of God, somehow someone's going to make a magic wand here happen and I will be I would have gone gone for that. (laughs) I would have accepted that. I would have said, sign me right up (laughs) if I could have. But it wasn't there. And so I realized that that I also had some other ways of going about it that I could explore.
0: Yeah. Can you, I don't think most of my students, I know we don't teach NLP in, in this master's program. Can you give a little bit of a background about what that is so students can have a peg to put that on?
1: Sure, yes. NLP in many ways is derived from, was derived from three sources, from Milton Erickson's work, um, Virginia Satir and Fritz Perls, the three people I mentioned earlier, as I was interested in all three of them before I encountered NLP. (laughs) Um, Did you train with all of
0: them as well? Pardon? Did you train with with all three of them?
1: I did not personally train with, uh, with Virginia Satir. I knew about, and I didn't personally train with Fritz Pearls. My husband did um, closely with Fritz Pearls, but he had already died by the time I was getting my training. Um, Virginia Satir, I had only one personal experience where she presented at a conference. Um, we had an NLP conference here in Denver and she was the keynote speaker and it was a very, very lovely, very brilliant presentation. Um, and then, Erickson I went to two times um, the two times I visited Erickson were after I was already familiar with NLP but um, I had learned of Erickson and become curious about him before through Jay Haley's work Jay oh, Haley's yeah. uncommon therapy uncommon therapy yeah yeah it's a it's a fantastic book Jay Haley did the world of service in putting out <laughs> that book <laughs> I I love that book um, anyway so NLP and um, is a field that attempted to um, find patterns, notice specificity and study um, subjective experience in a way that makes it more precise. So NLP mapped out more, um, and NLP draws a lot on the work of Erickson in doing that. They're Erickson's language patterns, um, his precision in his work. Erickson had an incredible precision in the way he worked and I think more than any more than any of them, um, NLP was derived from patterning some of Erickson's work. Um, NLP couldn't fully characterize what Erikson. You, you can't put Erikson in a bottle. You can't <laughs> you can't just map out steps. But it was an attempt to be more precise in in um, in change work. You can read the book Heart of the Mind. Um, If if people want an introduction to NLP and what's all what it's all about I recommend that one Heart of the mind but if you want to start with I think that core transformation and the wholeness work go right to um, something that emerged out of that kind of precision um, but is a whole new mapping it goes beyond what NLP could do yeah as a, as a field, I mean, I, I think of it, we can think of wholeness work and core transformation as part of NLP, or we can think of it as its own thing. I think about it both ways.
0: Yeah. What do you think makes the difference between core transformation and uh, wholeness work?
1: Between those two?
0: Between those two and the NLP. And, and
1: the other? Mm-hmm. Um, both core transformation and, and wholeness work come out of my attempt to find my way back to the state experience I had okay. with Erickson. Yeah you know so and that was both of them are working at this beingness level it's sort of beyond this the this solving problems and we're working towards um personal evolution when we when we do um w- we can solve problems with both these methods really well yeah. um but they're solving it at such a deep level that it's at this beingness level rather than at a more superficial shall we say level or I, superficial is not really the right word, but, um, cause it's not superficial. It's just not quite to the being this level.
0: Yeah. It, um, I know that your husband also wrote a book called transforming, transforming yourself. yourself. Yeah. 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 I haven't had a chance to read it. I haven't had a chance to pick up a copy, but it seems like you guys are, you guys were very, very um, precise in what you're trying to solve. And yes. all of that eventually led you to the conclusion that we need to be working at the level of identity, or at least something in that realm. Yes,
1: but- yes, yes. Yes. Yes, I think so. Yeah, we, um, we collaborated with each other on a lot of things, and then later on, we, we had increasingly our independent paths, where we both had a lot of respect for each other's work. I have a lot of respect for my husband's work. I can say that, um, and um, I think it fits well with what I do. But it's different. It's a different style, and I think it works at a different, for a different purpose, at a somewhat different phase in someone's development. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I've had people tell me, oh, now after I do your wholeness work, I could actually go back and do Steve's self-concept work better. And I was never able to do that before, you know, and other people have said, oh, the self-concept work gave me some big pieces that were helpful. And now I'm ready for the transforming. Now I'm ready for the wholeness work where we'd actually um, dissolve the sense of self, the sense of small separate self.
0: Yeah well
1: well we've
0: we've blown through at least an hour maybe a little bit more um i have to ask what do you feel like is the next step i mean this is wonderful wonderful stuff right we're talking about a way to reliably um and consistently help people to evolve and grow themselves in a way that is toward like love wholeness and connection which is a beautiful thing yes Um, is there anything more beyond that is this what you
1: know you yeah. Yes, yeah. in terms of the method um there is a, a lot more beyond what we've had a chance to begin to glimpse in our conversation today yeah. um i've been uh, teaching an advanced course in wholeness work that goes through days um four through six of the wholeness work material and each day gets more depth more possibility for transformation and the kind of shifts people are in the group are describing are are quite touching you know and and it ranges from i don't want to make it all sound like dramatic stuff because it isn't a lot of the most important work with wholeness work is very simple very ordinary and yet some of what it gives us access to is becomes increasingly like what the spiritual teachers sometimes described as those awakening experiences where there would be these intense vibrations going through the system or the light was just shining through everything and you know so so it's pretty it can be pretty profound what this can give us a doorway into um, as we go through more of the advanced days but if you but if you're asking next for me um, I can tell you that, something on that. (laughs) Um, And that is, I think my next step is to, um, I I believe that this wholeness work is uh, a breakthrough for people. It offers the possibility for us perhaps finding a deeper sanity within ourselves, a deeper wholeness, a deeper sanity, the possibility of living more in, in community where we don't, Fly off the deep end and get our buttons pushed so much about everybody else, so that our so that at a community level we have less reactivity happening. I think it's going to be good for the planet. Um, you know, a woman. It's it's in one of the stories in the book um, is about a woman who called me up after just an introduction to this work, and she said, "Wow, I just have to tell you, my whole world changed." And when she described what happened. It was this shift inwardly so that the judgment she thought other people making were making fell away. And she had the chance to see the world as it was. They were actually friendly and she thought they were being judgmental. And that's profound. That's a profound shift because we all do that. You know, I've done that where I thought someone was judgmental when they weren't being judgmental. I, and it's amazing how, it's possible to see the world with rose-colored glasses, but for most of us, we're seeing it with darker glasses <laughs> than is really the truth of things.
0: <laughs> yeah. you know?
1: And we tend to read into other people um, um, more negativity. Sometimes negativity is really there and it needs to be seen and it needs to be called out. You know, We don't want to gloss over some of the stuff that's coming down these days. Right. Um, but we also don't want to make it in something that it isn't and start to make it into a personal blaming, personal text. And I think that wholeness work increasingly gives us the way to respect ourselves, respect each other, and more see reality for, see, see reality as it is. There was a teacher who once said, what is awakening? What is enlightenment? And he answered, um, enlightenment is, is seeing reality for, as it is being in touch with reality as it is. And I'm thinking, that is so true. That is so true. And, and so I'm thinking, okay, if, if there's a chance that this can play a small part in that, then my job is perhaps to be training trainers and coaches um, around the world. So that's what I'm starting to do. The, the advanced training that I'm teaching has people from many continents who are themselves interested in training and coaching this work um, in Europe, in Asia, in, in different, in South America, Central America, different places in the world, um, because if it's going to make a difference, I can't do it on my own. And people need that one-on-one guidance often, even though the, the book is a huge resource. We still need a team of people to be backup. Well, after somebody's read the book and they get stumped, wh- who do they go to? Well, they, I don't have time to work with all those people so my my goal uh, or my calling i think is to um train trainers and train coaches so that there can be um people with skill able to meet that need and yeah deliver it that that's what i'm seeing
0: that's beautiful i think that's so true i think that's that's what i've experienced in doing your work as well doing this Um, so I'll be a little bit more explicit. My, in the morning when I do my daily mindfulness, my mind is usually pretty scattered. And so I use core transformation to kind of get through the distractions and then I'll move into wholeness work and I don't do in-depth stuff. Um, but it helps me to see things. I would say from a more, I would say clearly. And, and it's and it's not a rose at least for me it's not a and i don't think you meant it this way but it's not a rose colored tent it's it feels like a more relaxed tent that then allows me to respond i find yeah. that when i get um tight and wound up or angry or whatever it is even if i'm perceiving the other person's intent correctly my my range of options have just constricted and so being able to expand and then respond from this more expansive place just gives me so much freedom.
1: Uh, uh, I, I, I really like how you have put that. Yeah, that really makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that, you know, yeah, this is the kind of thing that I think that you make very simple. And you also, you know, you, you talk about it in the book, how it came from spiritual practices, but you don't have to be um, linked to any specific spiritual practice or school to get the results. Because it's a method. It's a method that works for people who want something different.
1: Yes, it's a method that works for people who with a spiritual practice, people who don't have a spiritual practice and don't ever want one, people who, you know, it can fit with. Yeah, it it works with all of that. Yeah.
0: So um, where can people find more about you?
1: Oh, um, the easiest place to learn more about wholeness work, me and wholeness work, is uh, a website www.thewholenesswork.org. Um, you have to make sure I get it right. <laughs> thewholenesswork.org, just all spelled out, no spaces. Um, and on that website, you'll see um, a lot of resources. You can also get the book. Um, I recommend that as a good place to begin. Yeah. Um, after this interview, that can be a good next step. It's called Coming to Wholeness. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Coming to Wholeness. And the subtitle is How to Awaken and Live with Ease. Yeah, and I think that's what you were describing, Jordan. Yeah. So yeah. the book is on Amazon. You can order it on Amazon. Um, it's ebook and print book both. Um, there are uh, There are video and live trainings also, and you can get to all of them through that website theholenesswork.org okay. um, if you If you click on the trainings you can get to the live trainings which are in Boulder. We have uh, two trainings coming up in the fall and um, there are also online trainings for people who don't want to travel or can't travel. Um, I have online streaming video trainings.
0: Awesome. You'll
1: see all that on the website okay.
0: So uh, last question, um, besides your own work, right? what should students be reading? If you had to recommend one book besides any of the three, Heart of the Mind, I think you said, Core Transformation, Wholeness Work, besides those three, what would you recommend students read, pick up?
1: Let's see, for what result? Let's see, so Wholeness Work, Core Transformation, Heart of the Mind, for what, what result?
0: let's do one personal book like just for fun and then let's do one in the field of uh, psychotherapy.
1: Hmm. hmm. Whoa, that I would probably need to think on a little (laughs) bit. Um, I find reading is uh, challenging for me. Um, So I'm not reading a lot myself. Um, But some, just some books I found particularly interesting lately, Um, uh, several by Atol Gawanda Yes, um, he's, 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 he's he's an amazing awesome guy. Speaking, e- that he's a man who has, has, understands systems and goes for systemic solutions in the medical profession. I I like the kind of thinking he has. Um, we need more people like him.
0: Yeah, everything that he's everything that I've stumbled upon that he's done is like incredible. Yeah, he's, he's really very he's very clear on the sort of pragmatics of setting up systems that help people.
1: Yes, and he he understands thinking at a systemic level. So if an error happens, it's not about whose fault is it. It's about, is there a way we can set up the system so that kind of error becomes either impossible or highly unlikely. And, And
0: he's one of the few people who consistently gives you some sort of, you can do this. I've read plenty of books that are beautiful and they describe the problem and then they say, and we need new policies. And I'm like,
1: yeah, well, which one specifically? <laughs> <He's> <laughs> yeah, I very, like that too. Very, he's he's great man. that way. Mm-hmm. So you're already, yeah, you're already familiar with him too. Yeah. Yeah. Check I, I really admire. Case, and he's also, he also is a really good writer. I think yeah, he's an list. excellent and engaging writer. And it was of some comfort to me when I listened to an interview with Atul Gawanda and he said, it took him a long time to do his writing. <laughs> and I thought, oh, OK. So, My kind of, I like that. I like that. He he didn't say, oh, yeah, writing just comes out of me just so easily like that. And that's how it is for me, too. I go over things and I go over them again, you know, and I find a little better way. And there have many, been many rounds of corrections and changes and improvements. So yeah. I, I had some appreciation of him saying that. So he right away comes to mind. Um, let me think of some, and and my husband and I both, we listened to his audio books and my husband's last month's alive. He passed away in the fall as, as you know, I think, but not every, the listeners. So that was, um, um, intense experience for us both. You know, the, the two biggest things any of us does in life is to be born and die, you know? Yeah. And then, uh, so then there's all this stuff in the middle, <laughs> but, um, but it was some special time the two of us had towards the end of his life. And um, uh, because we knew it was coming, I think that was a gift to us both. Yeah. And so it gave us time to process things with each other and together. And and have, there's a lot we couldn't do together anymore. But we could still listen to Atul Gawanda do his audio. <laughs> and my husband, he his mind was sharp right to the end. He never had any... Um, noticeable shift in his ability to, to think and to, um, which, which we both were grateful for. So, um, so he could enjoy Atal Gawanda's insights and his expressions. Yes. So that was, I think I'll leave it with the Gawanda. Um, yeah, it's
0: such a beautiful image too. Have you guys been able to find things to share even in really hard times. <clears throat>
1: But I'll think on that too. And I would, you know, maybe you can email me with your favorite books and <laughs> because I, it's such a, an interesting thing to learn from people, their favorite uh, things outside the field maybe, but something that you resonate with and feel like is a, is a gift.
0: Yeah, I'd be happy to. Well, look, thank you so much for your time. Um, I've enjoyed it immensely. And if there's anything I can do to help you in the future, you're doing important work. So let me know.
1: Ah, Thanks so much. I really appreciate your interview. And, you know, it's a, it's a pleasure to me and a treat to, to talk with someone, be interviewed by someone who uh, has taken so much time to investigate the whole thing, even to using it as a personal practice. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. Thanks so much.